Entering the modern era, in 15th century Italy, Pope Innocent VIII was so concerned about the rise of witchcraft that he commissioned Kramer and Sprenger's famous Malus Maleficarum, a treatise on witchcraft. Commissioned in 1484, the treatise repeatedly links witchcraft to abortion and child sacrifice. Witches who were midwives in various ways kill the child conceived in the womb and procure an abortion. During the reign of Louis XIV, for example, there was a network of occult activity involving abortion and infanticide that reached even into the king's courts. Investigating a series of suspicious deaths, the lieutenant general of the police in Versailles was led to Madame de Montespan, Louis's favorite lover, and then to La Voisin, a practicing witch and abortionist who had provided the poisons used in the murders. Upon further investigation, he learned that the abortion services were connected with satanic rituals and being primarily performed for members of the aristocracy. Puis je vous présenter Catherine Dessay, veuve mon voisin, dites la voisin. Spécialiste des poudres de succession, bouillon de 11 heures, aiguilles et autres instruments, maintenant. C'est une condamnation. Non, c'est ma raison sociale. Et le tout sans danger. Je le garantis. Comme le dit madame, rien ne vaut une empoisonneuse pour éviter d'être empoisonnée. J'en appelle à Samaël, prince des abîmes, qu'il accorde à Athénaïs, marquise de Montesquieu. The following is the testimony of Lavoisin's daughter at the subsequent trial. At one of Madame de Montespan's masses, I saw my mother bring an infant, obviously premature, and place it over a basin over which its throat was slit and its blood drained into the chalice. Note that the child was premature, likely the victim of one of the many abortions Lavoisin had performed. Then the cup filled with the baby's blood was lifted up to heaven and this invocation was given. Hail Ashtaroth and Asmodeus, princes of friendship. I conjure you to accept the sacrifice of this child in return for the favors asked of you. Ashtaroth was the goddess wife of Moloch. Asmodeus is a transliteration of the Hebrew name for a demon that is normally associated with lust. Aborted children, as well as infants purchased from prostitutes and the very poor, were being sacrificed in a satanic ritual designed to grant spiritual power to the practitioners. At her trial, Lavoisin confessed that no less than 2,500 babies had been disposed of in this manner. Historians debate whether these tales of satanic masses and rumors of ritual infant sacrifice are in fact reliable. Were they coaxed out of frightened witnesses by the Lieutenant General of the Police in Versailles, who used torture as part of his interrogation techniques, or were these simply folk rituals combined with elements of the Catholic Mass that served to assuage the conscience of La Voisin as she came to terms with the moral implications of the many abortions she had performed? In the book, Affair of the Poisons, Murder, Infanticide, and Satanism in the Court of Louis XIV, author Anne Somerset offers this explanation. 
Lava San appears genuinely to have believed in the power of magic, but she combined this with an outward profession of piety. As the circumstances of her arrest suggested, she was a regular churchgoer, and her answers to her interrogators would abound with devout sentiments and respectful invocations of the Good Lord. When she finally began to make significant revelations, she would claim she was doing so for the glory of the Lord, who had commanded her to heed His will as she knelt in prayer. Earlier in her career, her readiness to imply that she was in tune with the workings of providence had stood her in good stead, for clients were comforted by her apparent belief that her personal activities were compatible with Christianity. It may be that Lavoisin herself was scarcely aware of any contradiction. Once, having assisted at an abortion, she was said to have wept tears of joy when the midwife in attendance baptized the fetus. Far from being troubled at having terminated the unborn child's existence, she exulted in having been instrumental in securing its salvation. Witchcraft, black masses, infant blood sacrifice, it does seem far-fetched. It's no wonder that some historians are skeptical. But when we consider the culture of the time, the picture comes into sharper focus. The French Renaissance saw the revival of interest in the Greek and Roman gods. King Louis XIV himself loved paintings with mythological themes and had a particular fascination with the sun god Apollo. In paintings of that era, Louis is portrayed as the Sun King. Lavoisin, no doubt, shared Louis's fascination with pagan gods and goddesses. She mixed this with a kind of folk witchcraft, herbalism, astrology, and the concoction of love potions and various poisons, including potions used to induce abortion. Lavoisin's vocation as a poisoner is, in fact, the most documented element of the affair. The 1997 film Marquis depicts the story of a young actress, played by Sophie Marceau, who purchases poison from La Vossin in order to murder her husband so she might be free to marry her lover. Likely in the minds of La Vossin and others who practice these abominations, they were doing a good thing in providing abortion to women whose children were products of adultery, fornication, and incest. Whether or not these dark ceremonies incorporating the blood of babies butchered through abortion were consciously meant to be satanic, only God knows. But what is apparent is that elements of witchcraft and pagan religion were interspersed with Christian rituals in order to justify the horrific crime of child murder. But is this really that different from what we still see going on today? We're here at the Orlando Women's Center. I'm a part of a team that meets here on Saturday mornings. I've had people stand here and tell me on numerous occasions that, that they're sure that they're sending their baby straight to heaven, that their baby is in the arms of Jesus from coming to this abortion clinic and killing their baby. I've spoken to pastors about this and some well-known ones that are absolutely in shock and cannot believe that somebody that claims to be a Christian could believe such a thing. 
A North Texas doctor who performs abortions is back in the spotlight this midday. His clinic shut down a while ago, but now he's reopened a surgery center. He is now the only doctor in the area who will perform late-term abortions. That's for women who are up to six months pregnant. It's no surprise that he's been the target of protest, but as KVU's Jim Douglas shows us, there is a surprise in the doctor's story. Am I killing? Yes, I am. I know that. It's a jarring admission from anyone, especially from a doctor, and perhaps even more so from this doctor. I'm an ordained Baptist minister. He's now a Unitarian who says he prays often. And then I'll ask that the spirit of this pregnancy be returned to God with love and with understanding. The notorious abortionist George Tiller, who was shot to death in 2009, employed a resident chaplain in his late-term abortion clinic. Observers outside the clinic would note the frequent smoke arising from an incinerator chimney as babies were cremated inside the building. Tiller's website advertised baptisms, funeral services, celebrations, and blessings for the aborted fetus prior to being burned in the incinerator. Whether intentional or naive, blatant or hidden, there is a growing association of abortion with these bizarre religious rituals, including witchcraft. This abortion clinic in Seattle, Washington, Aradia Woman Health Center, for example, was named for the goddess associated with witchcraft. Aradia is an alleged figure of Italian folklore in Charles Godfrey Leland's Aradia, or the Gospel of the Witches. According to Leland, Aradia is the daughter of the goddess Diana and Lucifer, who came to earth to teach witchcraft to her oppressed worshipers. The 19th century folklorist compiled the book as an attempt to portray the beliefs and rituals of an underground religious witchcraft tradition that, Leland claimed, had survived for centuries until his discovery of its existence in the 1890s. The Gospel of Aradia became the first real text of the 20th century witchcraft revival. The book of Exodus contains a biblical injunction that in our relativistic, increasingly pagan age appears to some as controversial, absurd, or even immoral. You shall not suffer a witch to live. This verse is as poorly understood today as it was during the medieval period when it was used to justify killing people who were reputed to be involved in paganism, animism, and other earth-oriented religions. In its proper context, and we must always remember that a text without a context is a mere pretext, this verse was and is primarily about protecting human life. 
In biblical times, those executed for witchcraft were not punished for merely casting spells. The death penalty for those living within Israel that practiced sorcery was prescribed because of their monstrous practice of child sacrifice. God had warned Israel not to intermingle with the Canaanite tribes, worshipers of Baal, Asherah, Moloch, and Ashtaroth, because they were idolaters who routinely sacrificed their children to demons. But instead of separating themselves from them as the Lord commanded, they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. And so the Israelites became increasingly accustomed to, and then enticed by, the sex rituals the pagans practiced, eventually engaging in them. Soon they were lured into also worshiping the dark deities that stood behind the rituals, Moloch, Baal, and Ashtaroth most specifically. And then the final trap was sprung. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus, they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. And the Israelites here are far from unique. Why do we see the practice of human sacrifice throughout world history? The Word of God declares, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. In other words, history repeats itself. That being true, we must then ask ourselves, is idolatry and human sacrifice still alive and well? Has the same process of commingling, seduction, sexual idolatry, and finally child sacrifice taken place in our day? Like the ancient Israelites, modern Americans were first enticed by the sexual revolution that took place during the early 20th century. As a result, biblical standards, particularly as regards sexual mores, began to fray and then break. Into this volatile mix stepped Margaret Sanger. Founder of the American Birth Control League and the abortion movement, Sanger is among history's best examples of the destructive power of spiritual deception. In a biography written by an admirer, Sanger was described as having tried to dispel depression by sex, travel, Rosicrucianism, occult, numerology, now she tried a new panacea, astrology. Sanger was a confirmed adulteress who consistently and publicly supported a woman's right to destroy. She became deeply involved with Pavlok Ellis, a modern-day false prophet who advocated a variety of bizarre sex practices, supposing them to be the keys to spiritual enlightenment and power. There is a trigger point in their lives where they reject the moral tenets of Christianity, prohibition against infidelity or perversity. Um, we, we see this in Havelock Ellis, for instance. They reject that, which means that then they have to question the intellectual foundations of the faith as well. They start to question its historicity. They, they question whether or not it can fit within a scientific model, etc. 
It is only the great men who are truly obscene. If they had not dared to be obscene, they could never have dared to be great. It's astonishing when you read Havelock Ellis or Emerson or Thoreau, how romantic their vision is, how many intellectual um, snafus and mistakes are made. What happens is they reject the morals first. That sends them on a search, uh, an intellectual search for reasons to justify their immorality. For Margaret Sanger and her militantly, even religiously promiscuous lifestyle, abortion became a necessary backup for contraceptive failure. The American Birth Control League eventually became Planned Parenthood and has grown to be the single largest abortion provider in the world. Along with killing millions of babies, they have promoted promiscuity and hence the demand for abortion through sex education programs that frequently ignore and even mock biblical standards of modesty and chastity. And all of this comes with the support of your tax dollars to the tune of well over a quarter billion dollars a year. Following Sanger came the 60s, the invention of the birth control pill and the century's second and biggest cultural and sexual revolution. Again, a sleeping church was little match for the tsunami of so-called free love, religious syncretism, moral relativism, statism, feminism, the explosion of drug use, and its spiritual relation, sorcery, on and on. Point two is uh, total assault on the culture by any means necessary, including rock and roll dope in the streets. We don't want to be responsible. We're irrational. We're irrational and crazy. When Roe v. Wade was being debated before the Supreme Court, the vast majority of professing Christians were missing in action. So in 1973, abortion was codified as a fundamental, constitutionally protected so-called right, in part to mop up the results of all the, quote, free love in the 60s. Soon, over one million preborn children were being killed a year. Over 50 million babies sacrificed to date and counting. Whenever pagan sexual immorality is accepted, abortion and child sacrifice become a necessity in covering up the fruit of sin. <laughs> 